And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, our focus will be about mastering the brain. We have the world's top expert on how the brain works, how it functions, and what you can do to optimize it. I can't say enough kind words about this gentleman or his expertise. Let us begin tonight's show. Welcoming to the program is Dr. Daniel G. Amen. He is a physician, double board, certified psychiatrist, television producer, and 10-time New York Times best-selling author. He is also the founder and medical director of Amen Clinics in Costa Mesa, in San Francisco, California, Bellevue, Washington, Virginia, Atlanta, lots of other places. Learn more about Dr. Amen by going to his website at amenclinics.com. Dr. Amen, it's a great honor to talk with you today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. I have to tell you, I find your work when it comes to the study of the brain absolutely fascinating. And when you started your research, what do you think have been your three most profound breakthrough discoveries about how the brain functions? So the number one is you're not stuck with the brain you have. You can make it better. Um, And I can prove it. I mean, that's really what we've been doing for the last 30 years is taking troubled brains from head trauma, toxic exposure, um, childhood stress, and making them better. And I, I get so excited about that. The second one is mild traumatic brain injury ruins people's lives and nobody knows about it because they end up seeing psychiatrists or psychologists who virtually never look at the brain. And so you really shouldn't hit soccer balls with your head, play tackle football, become a boxer, because all of those things increase your risk to have problems in your marriage and your work with your money and so on. Um, And then the third thing is um, it's really flawed, that psychiatry is really flawed because it never looks at the brain and the problems like depression are really symptom clusters. They shouldn't be classified as illnesses because there's a hundred different causes of it. And when you look at the brain, you realize depression can be because your brain works too hard or not hard enough because of head trauma or some sort of toxin. And understanding that changes the whole field of mental health. Dr. Raymond, what do you think would be some of the comparable differences between a person who has a brain injury and somebody who has 
a low functioning brain or a different functioning brain because they have trauma that has actually occurred to them. So how do you know the difference between what is something that's occurred within the physical physical brain and you know, the result of stress that you've, emotional stress? So I published a study on 21,000 people showing we could tell the difference between emotional trauma and physical trauma. So physical trauma, you can actually see where the brain is hurt. And typically we see decreases in brain activity. Where emotional trauma, we see your limbic or emotional brain fired up. So when you see something that you can't forget, um, either from being in a flood or a fire, being molested or robbed, um, those circuits in your brain that house emotional memory become overactive and you can't stop thinking about them. Um, and that's different than if you played tackle football for a number of years and you had repetitive subconcussive blows, that'll actually show up as low activity in the brain. And knowing the difference is really important because do you want to calm the brain or do you want to repair it? And if you don't get it right, you could actually hurt people. Wow. So a lot of people, they're into coffee. I'll tell you, I can't get my I can't get out of bed in the morning unless I have two cups of coffee. But I remember reading something you wrote saying, hey, anything that makes the brain, your brain's 85% water, and anything you're doing that dehydrates you is a negative. So how do you, is there a way to balance that? How do you, is there, can you, can you actually deal and have a happy medium between consuming coffee, consuming alcohol, consuming other things that may give you a boost in the short term, but I guess hurt you in the long term? So I have a book coming out in March called The End of Mental Illness. And in The End of Mental Illness, I talk about the evil ruler. So if I was an evil ruler, how would I create mental illness in our society? And one of the first things I do is I create a culture where people need coffee in the morning, caffeine in the morning to wake themselves up, and alcohol at night to put themselves to bed. And you find if you get rid of the alcohol and the caffeine after you know you have withdrawal symptoms for about a week, um, your energy is just so much better. You sleep better, um, and you're not artificially stimulating and calming your brain. One of the reasons that you can't get out of bed in the morning is because you're addicted to the caffeine. And if you just stop cold turkey, you'll go through withdrawal. So I tell people, you know, drop it by 10% a day, and you won't have withdrawal symptoms, and you'll be able to get away from something you love that does not love you back. And it's one of the things I've been thinking about. It's like, you know, we have relationships with alcohol, with caffeine, with food. And I don't know about you, but my first marriage was awful. (laughs) I (laughs) I always tell myself, I I am never again going to love someone who doesn't love me back, who's not nice to me. And, you know, and I've been with my current wife for 15 years and we have a great relationship. Well, that's what I want for anything else in my life. Do, does the food I eat love me back? So I'm not going to love sugar because I like sugar, but it hates me 
And so why would I engage in a relationship with something that hurts me? Only if I'm a fool or I don't like myself. And I am neither. I love what you said about that and the fact that you brought up sugar because when we were reading through your books, talk about what a negative impact sugar has. And Dr. Amon, when I travel, I find it very difficult. I try to make as much food as I can from home. I'm vegan. I can't go to – I really have a hard time because every place you go to is fast food. And you go to any you know party and they're serving – you know, Coke and Pepsi, and this this sugar content is ridiculous. I try to avoid it as much as possible. But what do you think are some of the negative impacts in the short term and the long term sugar has on the brain? And what can you expect if you withdraw yourself completely from sugar? What can you expect changes to happen in your brain? So sugar is pro-inflammatory, and we know that inflammation is a major cause of both depression and dementia. Um, sugar is addictive. You know, when you start it, it's really hard to stop it. Um, sugar increases erratic brain cell firing and it decreases healing. So they put rats on, um, they gave rats head injuries. They whacked them in the head. And one group, they just gave healthy food to. The other group, they gave the same healthy food plus fructose, which is fruit sugar unwrapped fruit sugar. And at the end of three weeks, the rats that had the head injury and the healthy food could do the mazes that they um, had already learned to do. But the rats who got the fructose or the fruit sugar were still confused at three weeks and couldn't. Anything that, and, and just think of football fields where concussions happen all the time and Gatorade on the sidelines. <laughs> I used to drink that. Like, does that really make sense to, um, you know, play a brain damaging sport and then have a brain damaging, you know, substance along with it? See, it doesn't make any sense to me. The, you know, kill the sugar and you will feel so much better. Now, I did say fruit sugar, but fruit's okay because. When fruit sugar is wrapped in fiber, so I had a plum today, and so that fruit sugar was wrapped in fiber, it tends not to hurt us. But when you unwrap it, so if you have orange juice or apple juice or grapefruit juice or guava juice, um, when you unwrap it, it actually turns toxic in your liver and makes it harder for you to be well. Dr. Amon, all your years of research, doing all these brain scans, which I find really interesting, if you find that, why are certain people very smart and kind-hearted? Why are certain people evil? Because I imagine the fact that, obviously, it probably took somebody of high intelligence to realize, hey, we can sell a sugar sport drink to people who are already damaging their brain. We'll make a lot of money off it. And I imagine that the brain was probably functioning at an optimal level because it probably took a lot of creativity and you know cunningness to come up with that concept and believe that they could push it through. Yet at the same time, why are certain people having brains at an optimal level acting positive and why are some people acting negative? Is there something beyond there that we're not seeing? Do, do certain brain patterns and certain brain functions cause people to act in any particular way? Is there a way to kind of predict the way a person is going to be like based on what you're seeing in their brain scan? 
Well, the scans give us a lot of information about personality. Because um, what's the organ of personality? It's your brain. And we have a free test online people can take uh, to know their brain type. Which of the 16 brain types do you have? And it's a brainhealthassessment.com, brainhealthassessment.com. And, but, you know, whenever you want to understand someone and their motivation or their health or their illness, think in four big circles. So the first circle is their biology. So that's the actual physical functioning of their brain. And it's what we see on scans. But we're more than our brain. There's also a psychology or how we think. So think of hardware, brain, software, mind. And there's a social circle. So think of network connections. Um, and then there's a spiritual circle, which is why the heck do you care? What's your deepest sense of meaning and purpose? So someone's brain can be fine, but they don't really have a moral code. And so they're like, oh, I could make millions of dollars by selling tobacco to children. Uh, so they may have a fine brain so they can follow through on their evil plan. Um, and so understanding anyone is always the biological, psychological, social, spiritual circles. And, and I've just found that so helpful through the years because you can actually have a bad brain, but if you have a high moral code, you're really not likely to do bad things. But if you have a bad brain, and low moral code, that's where murder happens or um, embezzlement happens, for example. Um, so it's, it's always thinking in those four circles that help us understand people. And saying that you have a new book, I mean, you've got all your books called Change Your Brain, Change Your Grades, The Secret to Successful Students, Science-Based Strategies to Boost Memory, Strengthen Focus, and Study Faster. So for those who want to improve, their ability to retain greater amounts of information and recall that. What are maybe two biggest takeaways from that book? Well, one, and I'm so excited about that book. I actually wrote it with my daughter and my niece. Congratulations. Uh, I hadn't been in school in 40 years, and I'm like, you know, what, what's <laughs> the student's most important asset to learn? It's their brain. And so... We teach young people, get your brain right, your grades will be better. And so we teach them, you know, brain health is really three things. Brain envy, you have to care about it. Freud was wrong, he was about three feet too low. Um, it's your brain that really matters. So brain envy, avoid anything that hurts your brain. So you have to know the list and then do things that help your brain. Again, you have to know the list. And it's not that hard. I was in my daughter's second grade class years ago, and I went to the board and put 20 things on the board. And I'm like, okay, categorize them. Which ones are good and which ones are bad? So exercise, everybody put that in the good category. Football, everybody, even in second grade, put it in the bad category. Um, and the only one out of the 20 they missed was orange juice because they put it in the good category, but as we've already talked about, in the bad category. Um, and then we talk about, well, what's the science of memory? And, uh, you know, there are tricks to memorizing things. And so we go through some of the 
you know, what do memory masters like our friend Jim Carroll do? What do, what do they do? And we talk about that. We talk about how to study with another person, what to do before a test, what to do, like the worst thing you can do before a test is stay up all night and cram for it because it'll just be a waste of your time because you'll go to the test sleep deprived. You're not likely to make a good decision. And so we talk about the planning stages, which is a frontal lobe function. We even talk about brains of teachers and how to get along with teachers because ultimately they grade you. So if you want better grades, you have to be polite. You have to be thoughtful. You have to show up. Um, and w w one of my tips that I think is the most important is read the material they're going to talk about in class before you go to class. Because if you do that, you'll learn all the new words. The teacher will then reinforce it. You'll ask smarter questions so they don't think you're an idiot. And it's, I mean, you're going to have to read it anyways. It's just a matter of timing. And if you do it ahead of time, it'll make it such a better experience for you. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, and again, books on Amazon, Change Your Brain, Change Your Grades, and The Secrets of Successful Students. Dr. Raymond, one of the lessons I learned from Tony Robbins one of his books is that I think he said, when you're looking at someone, try to mimic their breathing patterns. And when I've come in contact with really great teachers, I've tried to breathe the same way they are. And I noticed that it has a considerable difference. Do you believe in that at all? Do you think that if you breathe in a certain way or fashion that it could have a, a substantial impact on your brain if you're taking deeper breaths, if you give your brain more oxygen, does it have any kind of impact on your brain function? Well, when you mirror what someone else is doing, you're actually getting in their head. And we have a mirror neuron system in the brain. So Tony Robbins, who I actually saw last year, he and I did a, a Facebook live chat together. Um, he does something called NLP. And it's, it's been a technique in, you know, among therapists for a long time. You can mirror the other person, how they sit, the language they use, it actually helps with bonding and connectedness. And so it can be useful in improving the quality of the relationship that you have with the other person. And, and a lot of people are, are into social media and we hear this thing all the time. I see a lot of studies about how I think it was a a lot more people are depressed today, despite the fact that everyone's connected on social media. I'm not a fan of it. But do you find in any capacity that people who are constantly on social media or who are constantly on their phone are regressing in some capacity, their brain function? Do you lose your function of your brain by putting too much of the burden and all the heavy lifting on technology? And do you actually find that people have reduction in their capability of growing their brain by not doing face-to-face -face engagements, by continually sitting in front of a screen? You know, that's such an interesting question because as social media has gone up, loneliness has gone up. And loneliness is actually an international crisis of the number of lonely people. Loneliness is also associated with Alzheimer's disease because we're interacting with gadgets more and more 
and less with actual human beings face to face. And so, you know, you and I talked about mirroring. It's really hard to do that on a gadget. Um, and you have false relationships as opposed to more intimate relationships. And even now, when you go to a restaurant, you see a family and everybody's looking at their phone rather than looking at each other. That is not good for our society. Neither. Do you, are you concerned about the amount of people that constantly use their cell phones? I'm not, I think these earbuds are kind of creepy. I don't, I'm kind of worried about the idea of having this EMF frequencies coming in. As a matter of fact, I have this EMF checker in our house and I, I used it by the microwave and I couldn't believe how much radiation was coming out of it. And now every, I put electronics as far away as possible. Well, that's just me. So I'm wondering, are you concerned about that? Do you think that cell phones have any long-term damage to your brain, the functionality of your brain? I think the radiation is not good for you. And I'm a little worried, not more than a little worried about 5G coming because the EMFs are going to go way up. And probably not everybody's sensitive to it, but enough people are sensitive that it's going to continue to increase the risk of mental health issues. I don't know if you know, but the the deaths from drugs, alcohol, and suicide at their highest level in recorded history. And I think that that should be a concern to all of us. And as I write about in The End of Mental Illness, that we're clearly going the wrong way in this country when suicide has increased 33% since 1999, but cancer has declined 27%. And you have to ask yourself, well, why? Um, And I think we're working on the wrong paradigm where we see things as mental illnesses rather than brain illnesses. And so I think the end of mental illness is really going to happen if we can create a revolution in brain health, where people love their brains and they know what to avoid and what to do. Thank you. And I just want to point out to everyone that in Dr. Amon's book, The Brain Warrior's Way, the Brain Warrior's Way, Dr. Amon lists a lot of antioxidant-rich foods. He also lists the 12 smart carbs to boost serotonin. I mean, there was a ton of information in the book that really took away. And I just want to circle back real quick to one more question regarding your physical body and your brain. One time we talked, Dr. Amon, I'm pretty sure you had said that for every pound of fat that you have, it makes your brain work that much harder. I was wondering, can you please elaborate on a person's weight and how it impacts their brain, what the correlation is between what a person's body weight is and also what the state of the cardiovascular system is, is in and how that relates to your brain? So if you want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it, if it's headed to the dark place, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And we know what they are. And I have a mnemonic I created called Bright Minds. And the B in Bright Minds is blood flow. Low blood flow is the number one brain imaging predictor of Alzheimer's disease. So anything that hurts your vasculature, Anything that hurts the blood vessels in your brain or your heart damages your brain. And the D in bright minds is diabetes 
where your blood sugar or your weight are higher than they should be. And I published two studies that show as your weight goes up, the actual physical size and function of your brain goes down, which should scare the fat off anyone. <laughs> when I realized that connection, I lost 30 pounds because it's always been a little chubby. And I have fat genes, which means, you know, I have fat people in my family and actually tested my genetics and said I had a two-thirds chance of being obese. But I'm not. Why? Because now I don't get into the behaviors making it likely to be so, because I don't want to be a dinosaur, you know, big body, little brain, you're going to become extinct. And, and obesity actually increases three other risk factors. It increases inflammation. So that's the eye in bright minds. It increases toxins because fat stores more toxic material like heavy metals. That's the T. And it takes healthy testosterone and turns it, especially belly fat, into unhealthy cancer-promoting forms of estrogen. And that's the end for neurohormone deficiencies. And so with 70% of us in this country overweight and 40% of us obese, it's the biggest brain drain in the history of the United States that we need to get so much more serious about our weight and our physical health. I have listened to, we've talked about this in our show before, about brainwave frequencies, the alpha, delta, theta, beta tracks. And I use something called a cognition enhancer. I like to listen to it once in a while. And it's fine that even listening to it for a few minutes, my brain functions, changes dramatically. And I'm wondering, have you ever come across that or experienced anything where you see it as a positive or a negative? If you're listening to a certain beat and your brain is functioning on that level, the sound, regardless of the health that it's in, regardless of how what, what kind of nutrition you're giving it, do you see that as a positive or a negative in terms of brain functioning and long-term brain health? So I actually have three albums that I have produced with Barry Goldstein. This is brain enhancing music. And one of them was on Billboard's New Age chart for 45 weeks. It's called Bright Minds, uh, Memory Rescue Music. And it's music made with different frequencies for anxiety, for mood, for sleep and focus and creativity. And I'm, I'm so excited about the potential of music to help your mind. Okay. Are there any particular types of tracks you'd recommend people listening to? There is rock and roll going to be something that's going to be a negative. Is like Zen Buddhist music, is that something that's going to be more positive? Generally speaking, what are some of the best types of music to listen to to give you the optimal brain function. So I actually did a study on this with my daughter when she was a senior in high school. We had students play a memory game while they listened to rock, country, classical, Mozart, and heavy metal. And heavy metal was the worst, like yeah. by far. <laughs> um, classical was the best. 
Um, but this, the runner-up actually surprised us. It was country music. And wow. ultimately, what, what we discovered is it sort of depends on your brain and what you want to accomplish with it. So if you want energy, then you need more upbeat tempos. If you want sleep, then you need slower music. So it really depends on what you want the music to do for you. And there are certain people that wake up in the morning and they're all pumped up and excited and they got the, the energy. And there's some people who are night owls. I'm a night owl for some reason. One o'clock in the morning comes and my brain is, let's go to the party. I, and I get all those ideas and it floods. And I don't know. It's just how my brain functions. it, But... Do, does the brain in general have a certain rhythm and pattern that's universal? Or, or are certain brains designed to function better during the day or certain brains designed to function better at night? Oh, no. They're morning larks and there are night owls. And then there are people like me. I tend to be okay either way. Um, so some of it's genetic. And some of it depends at what stage in life you are. So teenagers, by and large, tend to be night owls. The problem is, especially with things like zero periods, is if we require them to get up too early, it actually puts them. In general, if they just get one hour less sleep than their peers, they have a higher incidence of depression and suicide. So we have to be very careful about the um, amount of sleep that people get. And if you know your pattern is I do better in the evening, just make sure you set up your life so you can live that way. Got it. Okay. And Dr. Raymond, in the last couple of years, well, I've seen probably in the last 10 years, I've seen a greater acceptance or a greater interest in I guess a mainstream acceptance of things like MDMA, utilizing MDMA to treat post-traumatic stress disorder, or using ketamine to treat long-term depression. And then you even have individuals that go to, the, I guess, the Amazon, and they'll, they'll use DMT. So there seems to be a, a, a lot of interest in medicinal ways or other ways of treating depression. Do you find any one of those to be positive or negative? Well, you know, one of my big concerns about psychiatry is the big innovations right now are hallucinogenic drugs and marijuana. And I'm like, something's wrong with this picture when they're not talking about diet and exercise and simple supplementation. Um, but having said that, I published a study on a thousand marijuana smokers every area of their brain is lower in blood flow. So we need to get away from the idea that this is not a potentially toxic substance for us. Um, ketamine, which is an animal anesthetic and also has been used as a street drug for many years called Special K. There has been a number of studies showing for severe depression, like people who were suicidal, that ketamine can actually be helpful to get people out of it. But 
there's concerns because they've been able to show that if you give someone ketamine and it has a positive effect, you can actually block that effect with naltrexone. Naltrexone is an opiate blocker. So what the ketamine is doing is somehow working through the opiate system in your brain. And so if you start it, you may have trouble stopping it. And there are other treatments I like more. There's a newer one called TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation, where say, for example, I scan you and I show you have low blood flow to your brain. Well, I can actually stimulate your brain with a TMS device and there are no side effects pretty much with that. And so we're learning through imaging that there are all sorts of ways to optimize your brain. And I just don't think I'd go to the hallucinogens first. And the final question I have for you, Dr. Amen, is what do you think is the biggest lesson, the most powerful lesson a person listening now can take away from your life's work about your functioning, about the brain? The one lesson, if there's one takeaway from all of your years of research you want people to learn from, what would that be? Well, that today you are making your brain better or you're making your brain worse by what you choose to do, by how much you slept, by what you're eating, by the supplements you take, even by the thoughts you allow yourself to think. And um, I work with this group at Stanford on how people change. And generally people don't do big changes all at once unless they have an epiphany. The scans give people epiphanies a lot, but most people change through these little tiny habits. You know, what's the smallest thing you can do today that will make the biggest difference? And ultimately we came up with the mother of tiny habits uh, and it's this, and it takes three seconds. Before you go to do anything today, ask yourself, is it good for your brain or bad for it? And if you can answer that question with information and love, love of yourself, you'll start doing the right things to have a better brain and a better life. Dr. Daniel Amen, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. And Dr. Amen, author of a great new book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Grades, The Secret of Successful Students, Science-Based Strategies to Boost Memory, Strengthen Focus, and Study Faster. You can also check out Dr. Amen's several other books, 10 of them, which are international bestsellers. Learn more about Dr. Amen by going to his website at amenclinics.com. Dr. Amen, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth. Special thanks to our terrific guest, Dr. Daniel Amen. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Lisa Caza, and Miss Constance Dallas. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace love and beers. Take good care and thank you so much for listening.